All right, Saul Company, you guys can take a seat. Wow. Good to be with you guys. Gosh dang it, guys. 30 people getting dunked this Sunday. <laughs> Boom. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Very excited. What's up? This is, um, this is Go Bears. Drew, this is Concordia. Go Bears, baby. Go Bears. I have faith. All right. Hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. Uh, I am on staff here with the Salt Company. And if you're new here to our ministry, just want to say thank you so much for being here. Uh, we recognize that this can be a crazy place to step into. And uh, I just want to honor Leo. I don't know where Leo went. Leo, is he? Yes. That song is so beautiful. Like, that is so cool. So rich in theology. Yes. Love it. Okay. All right, guys, we are continuing our First John series. So if you've got a Bible, we'd love for you to open up your Bible to First John. We're going to be in First John 2, uh, 15 through 17. We're going to do First John 3 next week, and then First John 4, the last salt company of the year. Woo. Wow, has this year gone by fast. Very good time. So we're going to be doing that the last night. It's going to be incredible. We're going to teach First John 4, and then we're going to worship our freaking faces off, and it's going to be awesome. Extended worship. Yes, very exciting. Okay. Let me pray as we jump into our time together. Yeah, Father, I was just thinking back to the first time I met you when I felt so underdressed stepping into an environment like this and thinking to myself, there's no way a holy and righteous God would want to love someone as sinful and broken as me. And I just love the grace written on every page of the Bible and every word of that song, that we come to you underdressed and you clothe us with righteousness because you are holy. And I love that about you, Jesus. I love that you are holy and yet you clothe broken, sinful people like me with your grace. Father, pray tonight that you would move powerfully in this room, that it wouldn't just be any other Thursday night, but the word of God would speak and pierce through bone and marrow, and get to the depths of our souls. Father, would you move in a mighty way? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Have you guys ever noticed there are things in life that you cannot avoid, okay? No matter how good you are at deflecting, you cannot avoid these things. First thing I thought of was how dumb you look when you run with the backpack on. How stupid do you look? Like, think about how dumb you feel and how dumb you look, you know? I was in the rain today, and I was like, oh, my gosh, it's hitting my back. Like, I was, it was tragic. Hate it. Can't avoid that. Second thing is, um, no matter what coffee shop you go to in St. Paul, lattes are $7 now. Have you guys noticed this? And I get oat milk. So it's an additional 75 cents. I understand. This is part of my problem. Very unfortunate. Last thing that I think of was, when you get old, your body just creaks for no reason. Creaks. Everywhere you go, you wake up with sore hips, you're like, I haven't done athletic things in eight years. Creaks. Okay. You guys know how this works. Hard turn. Inedible things. Things that you cannot avoid, no matter how hard you try. Here is the ultimate inevitability for all of us in this room. That one day, you will die. That no matter what your socioeconomic background is, no matter what your gender is, no matter what career you choose to pursue, no matter how good of a person you are, whether you murdered people or cured cancer, one day you will die. This is the unescapable reality of the world. So in light of that death, <laughs> dark, I understand, we'll get through it. In light of that, the question then appears, why live? Why work hard at this life? Why make meaningful relationships with each other called friendships and other ones? 
Why make those things when those people will die too? What is the point of our lives and how do we live? Now, here's some cultural commentary for you. It is the atheist post-Christian culture that we live. That culture has a lot of answers for you on how we came to be. How societies were built, how empires rose and fell, but they are silent on this singular question that every single human being has asked in the entirety of human history, and that is, if I'm going to die anyways, why do I need to live? Why is it worth it for me to live? Ian, my boy Ian, his name is Ian McEwen, who is a British atheist author who was really impactful in the 20th century, says this. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? He was a man who had achieved all of his dreams and came to the end of himself and realized that if he was just going to die, then all the meaning in his life was going to die with him. So Salt Company, if it is true that once you die, your life ends, then the logical response to that life that ends in death is just to eat, drink, and be merry to do whatever your heart desires to do only till the day that your body gives up. Dark intro, I'm aware. So if the inevitability of your life is death, I actually wanna give you two options to die tonight. Two options. The first option is to live for the world and die with the world. Live for the world and die with the world. But the second highly favorable, highly recommended option, the positive one is to die to yourself and live forever. Open up your Bibles from the 1 John chapter 2. That's where we're going to be, 1 John chapter 2. Not going to lie, I'm pretty tired, so we only have to do three verses tonight. Very exciting. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 15, and this is what the Word of God says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Okay, first, we need to do some definitions, okay? So what is John saying when he says, do not love the world, or in other words, hate the world? Is he saying, hate St. Paul, oat milk lattes, cute puppies? Is John saying, hate cute puppies? Or like human beings, you know, because we're a part of the world. Like, does God hate puppies? No, he also doesn't hate humans. Okay, so what's the question here? I don't know if you guys have kind of been around the church or not, but I didn't grow up around Christianity, and people would always toss around these words like, oh, the world, worldliness, worldly things. Had no idea what they meant. I don't think they did either. <laughs> Being honest, okay. So there's two. There's two definitions of the world in the Bible. The first one is the metaphysical world. It is the creation around us. It is your little bodies roaming around the earth. You actually exist. That is the world. John 3:16. for God so loved the Exactly. And what was he speaking of there? The metaphysical world that he created and the people that he created within it. So he must not mean to hate St. Paul. He must not mean to hate cute puppies because that would make God weird, okay? But God's not weird. He's awesome. So that's the metaphysical world. But in 1 John chapter 2, fast forward after his first gospel, in this chapter, he's actually talking about a different type of world. When he says the world, he's not talking about the metaphysical world around us. He's actually talking about a system of thinking. An anti-God rhetoric that is birthed out of human beings in our sin apart from God. Okay, so here's my definition of worldliness for you. We're going to put it on the screens, okay? We're going to put it on the screens. Worldliness is a mindset or ideology 
that believes that this world is all that there is. That there does not exist a world after this world. That this world is all that there is. Sociologists use this word to describe this, and that word is YOLO. Have you heard of it? Yes. You only live once. I know. Teaching you so much vocabulary today. That is the way that our culture views the world, right? In the college scene, it's like, hey, you're only in college for four years, so go crazy. Drink, like, so much alcohol. Lose so many nights of sleep. Get your body count up as high as you can get it. Live a life only for yourself. That is the college version of YOLO, okay? Verse 16 sums this up perfectly. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So it's all company. If our biblical definition of worldliness is not just, a per, it's not just one sin or a lifestyle, but is actually a system of thought that, begins, that believes at the core of its system that this world is all that there is, then here's what we would do in response to that. We would just live out every desire we've ever had. If you believe that there is no eternity, that God is not real, that the Bible is not true, that there is not a life after this one, then here's the logical response to that ideological thinking. You should just do whatever you feel like doing. If you feel sexual impulses, then you should act on them in whatever you want to act on them. If you have a desire to feel intimacy in that way, then you should spend the next three years of your life expressing yourself sexually, only to eventually settle down and to rein that in. If the Bible is not real, if God does not exist and there is no eternity, then if you like stuff, like you collect Jordans, okay, I don't know, maybe you do, maybe you don't, Lulu leggings, I don't know, whatever it is, then you should spend the rest of your life making as much money as you can to build your own kingdom. If there is no life after this one, then you should live a life only based on what you would want. It's all company. I want to make this incredibly clear. This text in 1 John is not an indictment against the culture out there. It's actually an indictment against the people in here. This is John speaking to the church. And he's saying we in the church, the people of God, are the most susceptible to fall in love with the outside world. David Shepard had an incredible quote. I've got like seven quotes tonight, so I'm very excited. Here's what David Shepard said. Thank you. I also like quotes. Okay. It strikes me that some people only want as much of God's salvation as will keep them out of hell. And they measure it out with unconscious precision how much worldliness and sin they can still hang on to without jeopardizing their chances. So maybe the question that you've been asking in your faith journey unconsciously is how much can I love the world and how much can I stay in heaven? Maybe your entire experience and the way that you fight sin and pursue holiness is not because you want to be holy to honor Jesus, because you're afraid that just an ounce more of sin would actually take you over the edge and God wouldn't let you into heaven anymore. And so the way that you live your life is one foot in in worldliness and one foot in on the kingdom of God. Okay. Why am I pushing so hard into this idea of worldliness? It's because John understood something incredibly important. That if you live for the world, that you will die with the world. 
that the world is not a place for living. The world is a place for dying. In this earth, this material earth, all of us will die. So the question is not, will you die? The question is what you will die for. And if you live for the world, the guarantee is that you will die with the world. Okay, two things that will die. This is a really hard sermon to be joyful in, but I promise it gets better, okay? Two things that will die on you. The first thing is your love for the Father. Verse 15 says that you cannot love the world and love the Father at the same time. They are mutually exclusive things. Other places in the Bible, as Jesus would say, is you cannot serve two masters. D.L. Moody says this, if, you walk, if I walk with the world, I cannot walk with God. Okay, Saul Company, here is the quickest way to extinguish the fire in your soul that you have for Jesus. Start loving the world. Start doing everything that everyone else is doing. And start living into the culture, culture's vision for flourishing in your life. And the second thing that will die is your eternal destination. Verse 17 says that the world and its desires are passing away. And if your desires are the world's desires, your loves are the world's loves, and you will pass away along with the world. My boy Will, he's got three names. It's like William Ralph Ingie or something, okay? Said this. Whoever marries the spirit of the world will find himself a widower in the next. Salt Company, I want to make something unbelievably clear to you. When we do Salt Company, we're not here to entertain. We're not here to give you good advice. If all you needed was good advice to get to heaven, we would just tell you three things on how to be a better person. But the simple reality is that what we're calling you to is not a slightly better life. It's not a more entertained religion. What we are calling you to is to actually believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and died for your sins so that you don't marry the spirit of this age. If I have one message for you in the next couple years, it will be a couple words. Do not love the world or you will marry the world and spend eternity apart from God. The decisions you make in college right now could not just determine how you live the rest of your life, but where you spend eternity. If you marry the spirit of this world, you will be a widower in the next. Okay. So if that's the cancer, some of you guys are like, okay, that's bad, worldliness. What are three ways that it actually comes up in our lives? Three different applications for us. I think that a life defined by worldliness will actually leave you with an emotionally manic state. That externally you will look fine. Like you'll look like you're doing good, you know, ooh, living the life. Okay. But internally, if you believe that this world is all that there is, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to place the weight of your entire future on every decision you make, every test you take, every game you play, and every relationship you have. And you will live with an emotionally manic state within your soul. Okay. Second thing this cancer produces is a life full of complaints and criticism. Now, this is incredibly common in the church. I like to punch Christianity in the face a little bit. Not Jesus, but like, you know, the people. And so here's the thing, guys. I have met Christians who complain so much that I wonder if they believe in an eternity. How much of your day do you spend just trash-talking everything? How much of your life do you expect this life to be perfect and all that there is? Salt Company, if you do not believe there's an eternity, then you will place the weight of perfection on this life. Let me make it incredibly clear. If you catch yourself complaining, just know that it doesn't honor Jesus. 
Third thing it produces is a life enslaved by your desires. Man, if you guys have been stuck in sin, you know how addicting sin is. Sin feels good, and then you're full of shame. So then you do it again to get a little bit more. It is the ultimate addiction for all of us. Some of you know what it feels like to be so enslaved to your sin, you cannot imagine a future by which God would sanctify you out of it. I have seen time and time again, if you do not have an eternal perspective, even as a Christian, you could live enslaved to your sin. So we need more than just this life. Option number one, if you live with the world, you will die with the world. Okay, moving on, next one, okay. That's a lot. So if that's the cancer worldliness, what's the chemo, right? You guys know I do this all the time. Bad news, good news. Let's talk about the good news. What's the good news? How do we heal from this cancer? I've got a great answer for you. The will of God. Very exciting. Some of you guys are like, finally, I've been coming to Saul Company all year. I've been like, what do I do with my life? I finally get to know. We are talking about the will of God. Very exciting. Look with me at verse 17. Verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Guys, this is the key, right? This is like the magic potion that helps you live forever. Very exciting. Fountain of youth. I don't know. Exciting. So the question is, what's the will of God? Is it that you, like, get in a van, you know, start preaching the gospel everywhere? <laughs> They're very cool, like Instagram it, make money. I don't know. Is that the will of God? Is the will of God that you go overseas right now, like, just, just cancel all your plans and leave? Is the will of God that you would wear leather jackets and skinny jeans? I don't know. I don't know what the will of God could be for you. What is the will of God? Very exciting. Look with me, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's a bummer. And each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Guys, get this. This is a real trip for you. Read the New Testament, cover to cover. There are very, 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 very few verses that explicitly state the will of God. This is the most clear one, okay? Some of you guys are like, that's such a bummer. It is true. This is what the Bible actually says, that the will of God for your life is holiness, that the will of God for your life is sanctification, that the will of God for your life is transformation to look more like him. Salt Company, let me tell you, I don't know what kind of cool God you've heard of, but the God of the Bible cares far more about who you become in your character than what you're going to do next in your life. He just does. He wants you to be holy, and not like, you know, holy sometimes. Like, he wants you to be holy. He wants to sanctify the sin out of your life. Why? Well, it's actually kind of genius. What you do in life doesn't really matter if you're holy. Let me, let me explain. The next steps in your life don't really matter if you actually are giving your life over to Jesus. Because you'll just honor him with whatever you do. Whether it's in a school or overseas or whatever you do, you will honor Jesus with your life. So what is more important, the next quote-unquote step for your life in the will of God or how much he sanctifies your soul? So here's God's calling for your life. Do you want to live forever? Do you want to taste eternal life? Be holy. So the question is how? How the heck do we do that? Because that sounds quite nice. I'd like to do that. It is very exciting to die to yourself. To die to yourself. I agree. That's why, you know, I agree. Thank you. It's very nice. Here's the will of God for your life. To die to yourself on the daily. 
to give up your pleasures, your desires, your conveniences, and your comforts to serve him, but to also honor him with your life. Saul Company, what if the question that you were asking yourself wasn't, how much sin can I get into before he kicks me out of heaven? But it was, how much could I die to myself to honor the one who saved me? Maybe your question needs to change for what is the God's will for my life to how can I die to myself today? How can I give up what I want today? How can I be made holy in Christ? How can I pursue holiness with a vengeance and a passion that would scare people around me? How can I become holy should be the new question of our lives. So the first option is this, that if you live for the world, you will die with the world. But the second option is this, if you die to yourself, you will live forever. Okay, here's the paradox of the gospel. Paradox of the gospel is great. It's actually when you finally die to yourself that you finally get to live. Here's what I mean. It's dying to your desires that you get to finally experience freedom. It's dying to the world's vision for your life where you finally get to experience meaning. And it's dying to your flesh that you finally get to experience joy. And it's dying to yourself in this life that leads to eternity in the next. So die to yourself and you'll live forever. Okay. Let's go back to YOLO a little bit. YOLO is the cultural vision for your life. So what's the biblical vision, you might ask? Get this, YOLO way. Okay, YOLO way, put it on the screen, please. Thank you. You only live once, dot, 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 with eternal implications. Yes, YOLO way. I know, it's revolutionary, you've never heard it. Thank you, it's very exciting. Here's what that means. This is crazy. That, I was not sure how you guys were gonna take that, I was like, this might be the corniest thing I've ever said in my entire life. I almost regretted it as I said it. But thank goodness that you guys liked it. Okay, get this. You do only live once. True story, okay? But the Bible says you only live once with eternal implications. Okay. This is a bummer. There's, I got to get to my point. Okay. Here's what that means. Get this. Here's what that means. Ground level. If you ever wake up one day believing that your life actually has no meaning, YOLO way, actually. God has made you in his image, called you for his purposes, is making you holy and giving you a chance to make eternal implications with your life. When you go to class, you're not just studying biology, okay, or whatever, you know, calculus or something, I don't know, smart people, okay, you're not. If you are in Christ, you are made in his image, called for his purposes, and given a chance to make eternal impact in your class. Listen, Salt Company, there are hundreds and thousands of people in your college campus that will spend eternity somewhere. So what if God didn't call you to that campus because you liked the mascot or you liked the colors? What if he called you on that team or that class or that major because there was someone in their places that needed some eternal perspective? I cannot help but wonder what would happen to the city of St. Paul if we actually begin to believe that we had one life to live with eternal implications. Do you not think that would change the way that we view the lives that we live? So how do we do that? We do that by pursuing holiness. We do that by dying to ourselves. Okay, 
as we close and I call the worship band back up, here's what I want to let you in on. The product of eternal perspective is this. Instead of a manic emotional state, you have a peace that makes no sense, okay? Guys, this is what's so cool. If you actually believe that this life is not all that there is, not a worldly vision, but an eternal vision, guess what? This life ain't got to be that good, okay? I'll just be honest. Like, I hope it's good for you, you know? Like, I want you to have a good life. But, like, man, the suffering of this life, the disappointments of this life, the pain of this life has nothing on what eternity will give you. So you can live with a peace. You're like, mm, I'm chilling. I don't care. Great. Second thing is, instead of a complaining heart, what will you have? You will have a grateful heart. Because this life is not perfect, but the Lord of the universe has given you breath in your lungs, has he not? So why do we not live with a greater appreciation for the good gifts he's given us as our father? Third thing is, instead of experiencing the bondage of sin and the slavery of sin, you will begin to experience the freedom of sanctification. The paradox of the gospel is this. As you die to yourself, you finally taste what it's like to live in God's design. And let me tell you, knowing and loving Jesus has been better than any sin could ever give me. I don't want you to settle for momentary pleasures and fleeting pleasures of sin. I want you to taste the real thing. As you die to yourself, you finally begin to live. So I'll come to you, will die. I know it's bad news, but you've got two options. In review, you can either live for the world and die with the world, or you can die to yourself and live forever. As we close, as I was thinking about this text, I was just thinking about, man, what eternity is going to be like one day. Listen, if you actually have, you know, YOLO way, one life with eternal implications, life will be insanely painful. Like the apostles, you'll be persecuted. Like Jesus, you'll be abandoned. You'll experience a weight of pain in your life as you give up the things of your life the pleasures and the desires and the comforts and the currency and the ease of this life to become holy like Christ and to live into his mission, it will be insanely hard. But C.S. Lewis says this. This quote was inspiring to me. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. So I'll come to what I want for you is not a short-lived, fun religious experience. I don't want you to be entertained. I don't want you to feel this fun spirituality. I want you to have a vision of heaven. And I want you to live the rest of your life with eternal perspective. But the beauty of the central message of the gospel is not temporal people like you and I becoming eternal. The beauty of the central message of the gospel is the eternal one becoming temporal. This is the good news. It's not us trying to become eternal. It's that the one who is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, who was there long before creation and will be long after redemption, the one who had everything in his hands, who is eternal forever, became temporal to die for me. That's the good news of the gospel. And as he died for our sins, here's what he invited us into, eternal life in him. Listen, it is worth it. Let me tell you, when 30 years, it is worth it. When you're giving up things daily, it is worth it. When you're pursuing holiness on a Friday night instead of going out, it is worth it. 
when you're pursuing sexual purity with your girlfriend or boyfriend because you know the will of God in your life, it is worth it. And here's why. It's because the eternal one became temporal so that you who were once temporal, dead in your sins and destined for death could be eternal with him. It is worth it. So don't give up. Don't give up. It's all company. If you're only born once, you will die twice. If you come into the world once, you will die at your death and you will spend eternity apart from God in death. But if you're born twice, you'll only die once. If you're born and then you're reborn as you meet Jesus, you have nothing to fear. Heaven is at the doorstep of death. So to live is Christ, to die is gain. So why don't we, as a people, for the years to come, live with the vision of one life with eternal implications? Let me pray that that would be true of us. Father, death is unavoidable. It is inescapable. It is a reality of life. But Jesus, I don't want to live for things and die for things that don't matter. I want you. I want to look back at the end of my life and say that I had one life with eternal implications, that I sought the will of God and became holy. I pursued dying to myself so that I could live with eternity with you. I want to look back and say, Jesus, I got to take a part in the redemptive work of this entire world, of the city of St. Paul, the campus is here to see the kingdom of God crash into earth, to see that my life has eternal implications. So Father, this is what I pray for the people in this room, that they wouldn't live for entertainment Christianity, that they wouldn't live for pseudo-religion, but they would live with an eternal perspective to see that the eternal became temporal so that we who were dead in our sins could rise again to life in him, to have eternal life with him. And because that's our future, because if we're born twice, we only die once, we too can live this life with eternal perspective. So Father, would it produce in this room an unexplainable peace? Would it produce in this room grateful hearts? And would it produce in this room the freedom of sanctification? Father, we believe that as we rise to worship, as we sing songs to you, we are singing to the one who was eternal and became temporal for us so that we who were dead and had no hope of life could live eternity with you. It is in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen.